0: Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 19, though our focus will really be on 21 through 27. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. To the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. When we want to describe circumstance, a situation, an event, as unacceptable to us, we might use the word lamentable. In many ways, in our day and age, the word doesn't carry as much force as it did centuries ago. For example, an appropriate use of the phrase today would be something like this, it is lamentable that a team like the University of Tennessee suffered such a bad loss to Georgia. And it is lamentable that some are happy about it. Alright, so, this, this, is a, this is the right and appropriate use of the term. But, but again, the way we use it today, you know, it's it softened. That's kind of what we have in mind. Interestingly enough, if you look up the, the word lament, you'll see a definition like what I just said. Then it'll have a secondary definition described as archaic meaning an older use of the term, even an ancient use of the term. So if you go back centuries and for sure, back to say the period of time the Old Testament, lamenting involved deep grief and anguish. It was far more than just some kind of unfortunate mishap, it was something far deeper than just, you know, something that we would prefer not to have happened, but happened anyway, or something that maybe isn't to our liking to lament, was to express deep heartbreak. In fact, there's a number of psalms that would be described as laments. And in many of them, it is the psalmist, David, and then others who, who are expressing their, their utter dismay at, at whatever situation they are facing. It could be personal, it could be for the nation of Israel, it could even be broader than that and describe you know, the, the deep pain and suffering in the larger world. So, so a lament was, was written. And in, the, and in the book of Psalms, this was designed to help the people of God express their their deep grief, yet at the same time, confess an abiding trust in God and His goodness and His faithfulness. And of course, we have an entire book in the Old Testament that's called Lamentations. My guess is, this is not on your top ten list. My guess is if I were to say, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I doubt there's somebody who says, hands down, Lamentations. All right, I can't get enough of Lamentations. And if that's you, then probably number two is Job, right? In other words, if Lamentations is your book, uh, I feel for you and will pray because that means, yes, you have endured challenging, challenging realities. Yeah, Lamentations is not for the faint of heart. I mean, this is no, you know, happy kind of chicken soup for the soul, all right? This is, this is no heartwarming story here. Lamentations is full of what the heart and the mind says to God when life has become Brutal. And it's not just like a one-time event. It's not like just you have a crisis, you get over it, and you get through it. Lamentations is written in in light of what what was a long-term grief. It's a book that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It, It comes right after his prophecy, named after him, the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet is, is foretelling, he is in essence warning the nation of Israel, if, if you don't stop your paganism, if you don't stop pretending that just because you go through the rituals of religion means that somehow God is bound to love you and express goodness towards you, if you don't get your heart and mind right with the God of glory, then you will find yourself under his judgment and wrath. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because nobody listened to him. To put it in today's terms, Jeremiah never had a convert in any years of his ministry. Nobody ever converted and came to Jeremiah's side. So in 586 B.C., Babylon came in and tore Jerusalem down to the ground. Left no stone unturned, so to speak. Even the temple, all, all of it. Not, not only were thousands killed, there was a brutal famine that then resulted. And then Babylon, doing what Babylon loved to do, they took the best and the brightest of Jerusalem back to Babylon for a little re-education. This was known as the period of exile. For 70 years, Israel would be in exile in Babylon. But not everybody went to Babylon. They didn't take the old men. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an old man. Sitting, in essence, in the rubble of what was the great city of God, and he is lamenting. Again, it's not a book for the faint of heart. And don't worry, we're not going to spend our time lamenting with all of the lamentations that Jeremiah laments, All right, I've taught the book. If you want to go back to somewhere around 2015-16, on our sermons. I'm sure you can find them, all right, if you, want, if you want to do that. Instead, though, in the midst of what is, David pouring out his heart to God, his, his, his grief over what the city is experiencing, his grief over the condition of God's city and God's people, what it's like to be under the harsh providence of God, in the midst of what is, lament after lament after lament, is one ray of sunshine. Perhaps the only phrase in the book of Lamentations you may recognize if you've never read the book, only because of the song we sang just a little while ago. Isn't it striking that one of the great hymns of hope and faith that we have comes out of one of the most disturbing books of the Bible? You'd never guess the phrase, Great is thy faithfulness. Mercies are new every morning comes out of a condition like what we just described. But this little bright spot where Jeremiah kind of rises above what, what is the grief that he is experiencing, the, the reality of life in Jerusalem, he rises above and, and, and I think gives us what it looks like when we force ourselves to meditate on what we know to be true about God. This is what Jeremiah does. He he forces himself to bring his theology to bear on his circumstances. Rather than the other way around, by the way. Not allowing his circumstances to be brought to bear on his theology. Instead, he reminds himself of what he knows to be true. So this morning we're going to take a look at, at Jeremiah's words of faith and hope because again if we were to do the rest of you know of lamentations and uh we would all again we'd all just be lamenting all right so we don't want to just we don't want to just find ourselves in a continual uh series of of lamentations instead we are going to force ourselves to think very carefully and clearly about who God is now let let me make sure and i hope i have everybody's attention at this point Because I know from now on it may come and go. All right, I get it. Don't, Don't worry. I understand how the preaching thing works, okay? I'm good and I'm good with that. I do the same thing when I listen to preaching, all right? I could very well be doing the same thing right now while I'm preaching. All right, so I understand that this is how it can work, okay? But I do want you to hear this. In fact, I almost didn't preach this text. Because Jeremiah is speaking these words out of a situation that resulted because of God's judgment. I want to make it clear. I've said this for sure on Wednesday night twice. Maybe I said it last Sunday morning. I want to be unambiguous as I know how to be. The foolish people that say this storm is God's judgment against this city are terrifyingly speaking for God when they don't know. Do you hear what I just said? It is the fool that is saying those kinds of things. So that, that's why I want to make sure we understand I am not equating the context. However, the bottom line experience is still kind of the same though, right? Right? Whether it is Jeremiah and Israel under the judgment of God and experiencing the harsh realities of that, or the people of God struggling through what is a collective, community-wide experience of grief, of harsh providence. I think Jeremiah's words of encouragement apply, regardless of context. And, and So, so notice, notice what Jeremiah does, and I want to point this out before we... Get to some points, and, and, and I promise you, I probably promise you, this won't take long, all right? But, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed? I don't think so. But notice, notice what he does in verse 21. So chapter 3, Jeremiah really lays out what, what is, where he finds himself. He, he talks about his, his, his flesh feels like it's falling off his bones, feels like his teeth are breaking apart. I think that's imagery of, of not only grief and and what he feels like is this inward, you know, kind of going downhill but gritting of his teeth so hard that they're they're breaking under the grief. He's even saying, I don't I don't even know if I'll ever see hope again. That's the language until you get to verse twenty one. And and I don't and I think verse twenty one is a transition, even though it is put with verses nineteen and twenty in in your text. I think it really belongs to verse 22 and following. Because here's what Jeremiah says. This I recall to my mind. I'm going to stop thinking just about my circumstances. And think about them in light of what God says about himself. That's what Jeremiah is doing. I'm going to root My experience in the midst of my pain and the harshness of the reality around me and what I know to be true about God. So this I recall to my mind. This I'm going to make myself think right. And let me just tell you, church, this is going to be an an, an ongoing kind of up and down experience in the months to come. There are going to be days when you embrace the day with faith, and courage and you think, yes, life is getting better and then you're going to run into yet another story or circumstance or situation where it gets really, really hard again and you're going to think, wow, I think that was wishful thinking and I spoke too soon. In other words, there's going to be times when you will have to recall to your mind what God says about himself. This is what Jeremiah does. In fact, then he says, therefore I have hope. So why does Jeremiah have hope? Let me point out three reasons. We'll see if we get to them all. but Three reasons, alright? Number one, three, three truths about God that I think help us in the midst of our, sum, our suffering. And that's God's mercy. God's mercy. Notice what he says here in verse 22. And again, I, I think the transition of therefore I have hope, the word therefore is not there to sum up what has just been said, but what's about to be said. Therefore I have hope, because through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Now, there, there's a bit of textual differences here. Some of you may have a translation and you're reading it and you're thinking, are you really in Lamentations? Am I really in Lamentations? Alright, you're wondering. Alright, so some translations may something, say something like, Though your stead through your steadfast love, it lasts forever, or something it never fails, something along those lines. So there's a bit of uh, of distinction here, but I, I really think this is the intent of what Jeremiah is trying to say. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. In other words, in spite of what he's doing, sitting on the rubble that was Jerusalem. By the way, I think that's literal. I'm not using a metaphor there. If you do the background of the book of of Lamentations, I think Jeremiah literally sat down as an old man at the end of his ministry, near the end of his life. Everything he prophesied came true, and I think he's literally on a pile of rocks writing this. And what's his comment? Well, for three chapters and 21 verses, it's a lot of, this is brutal. But then what does he recall to his mind? It's almost as if he has to tell himself, but you know what? I am breathing in the air. I'm writing down words. In other words, I'm still alive and God has still been faithful to me. And there is still a city that belongs to the people of God. And there is still a God who's made a covenant promise with those people. In other words, God did not utterly consume His people. God showed mercy by sparing them. I know that sounds like an odd thing to say. In spite of what is intense grief here, Jeremiah realizes, no, there's still God's blessing and goodness toward me because I still have life, and I still have life with God. That's what Jeremiah is saying. By the way, let me commend you. This is what I've heard time and time again coming out of your mouths. I've heard this come out of the mouths of people who have nothing. Who have said, God was merciful to us. God was merciful to us. How profound is that? Because I will tell you, there are a lot of people in this city who do not utter that confession of faith. There, there are many who maybe do not speak in those terms, even today. Today. And Jeremiah is recalling this to mind. Because we still live, because we still have breath, because we are still under God's steadfast love, it is forever, it never fails. Through His mercies have not been consumed. I've said before that one of the greatest signs of God's grace is the fact that there is a Genesis chapter 4. Right? And you can keep going, one of the greatest signs of God's grace is is that there is a Genesis chapter 7, that's after the flood. One of the greatest signs of God's grace, that there's a book of the Bible after the book of Exodus. That there is still a nation of Israel. It is one of the great signs of God's grace. Through His mercies we're not consumed. Now, He's not done though talking about that mercy of God. Notice this next phrase. Because His compassions fail not. And then he gives that, that great statement, 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want you to notice something here. Here's what I love about how the New King James translates this. It says, through the Lord's mercies and because of His compassions. Those are weird terms, aren't they? Isn't the plural word of compassion, doesn't that sound odd? Has anyone ever come up to you and say, said, I really appreciate you for all your compassions. right? It doesn't, I mean, when you hear it out loud, it, it sounds odd, but that's a very intentional theological way to put it. It's not just God's mercy and God's compassion. When you add the plural, when you change the ending and you say mercies and compassions, this gets very practical, right? That is a way of saying there are very intentional, specific things God is doing on our behalf and so we have hope. Jeremiah says, therefore I have hope because there are, there are these mercies of God. Multiple, many, not just one ambiguous kind. Specific mercy for specific conditions and circumstances. There is this, these mercies of God. There are these compassions of God. These direct, specific expressions of love. And Then to add, and they're new every morning. That, that is such a great phrase, is it not? Now understand what he means when he says they're new every morning. That, that's not a way, that doesn't mean so there's brand new mercy never before seen. I, sometimes you hear people kind of interpret it that way. Like, you know, you hear people saying, well, God, God's going to do something new and different and He's doing something he's never done before. There's a limited number of examples of that, by the way, where God does something that he's never done before. Okay? For example, the gospel, meaning the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Yes, he had never done that before, all right? So that was a new thing. But in general, that's not how God works. Instead, God does what he's always done. God acts the way he's always acted. This is a rock. Bed character here of God. Something that we rely on and have our faith in. God does not change. So pastor, what does it mean when he says mercies are new every morning? It means not that you need brand new, never before seen mercy before. It's a way of saying yesterday's mercy would not be sufficient to meet today's need. And so God gives you sufficient mercy each and every day for the needs that arise in your life. That's why it's new every morning, because it is a a new batch of it. It is is for today. It's not left over. It's not old. It's not what God did for me in my past, even though it's good to remember that. God continues, and it's it's a new mercy every morning. I, I think of it kind of like this. Think about the food that you eat. I mean, day in and and day out. Well, let's think about about breakfast. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, though, if you want to, you can, all right? right, Is there anybody here that has the exact same breakfast every day, almost every day? Have the exact same thing, all right? Okay, all right, there's a few hands out there, all right? I tell you, my boys largely do, all right, some of you do. I want to ask, and how many of you does it involve a children's cereal, all right? But I'm not going to do that, I think it does, all right? Lucky Charms, straight half and half. Now that's a good breakfast. All right, that would be a good. I'm not, I don't do that. All right, don't worry. And you hear that, and you think, well, he'll be dead by next week. If that's what... that's not what I do for breakfast. But so you know that we get into a routine, right? Now that is a new breakfast every day. Even if every day it is toast and bacon and eggs, every day it is a new breakfast. You don't cook breakfast today and leave it at the table. For tomorrow, it's new every morning. When Jeremiah says your your mercies and your compassions, not only do they not fail, but there's new, fresh mercy. Not brand new like never seen before, but there is new and sufficient mercy each and every day. And I know there's a lot of folks in here who wake up now every day once again faced with the realities of life that were not the realities of life three weeks ago. In fact, none of us, when we gathered here three weeks ago, could have ever imagined that life would be as it is now. Again, these words would have been a lot different, right? Three weeks ago. My encouragement. My word to you. And I, I hope it's not just my word. It is, so it is the word of God. And I hope, I hope it meets then the very deepest needs that are in your soul. His mercies. His mercies have, have never failed. His, his compassions They've never failed. They've always done what He promised they would do. And they are new for you every morning. And can I give you really good news about that, church? He doesn't do it because you deserve it. He does it because He loves you. Because He loves you. Because God in His goodness and grace loves you. It is a steadfast love. It is an unchanging kindness that God then will express to you for all eternity. His mercies, His compassions, they fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Next week, we're going to keep going, all right? And and, and next week, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. I think it's a very fitting time to do so. And it, it may shock you to hear, Lamentations speaks beautifully to it, what we will talk about next week. Jeremiah is going to use this great statement. And and I would encourage you then to spend the week to come meditating on verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. It's one of the most unusual titles given to God in all the Bible. We understand the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my shelter, the Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my tower. These are all metaphors that you find in Scripture. This one's only used four times, once here and three times in the Psalms. Say that the Lord is my, my portion. It, it, is, it is a beautiful and I think profound picture of, of what Jeremiah is forcing himself to recall. But I think for now it is good for us just to stop and to think about this good mercy of God. And again, to remind ourselves that this mercy is expressed to us in its greatest sense in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, this, the, the, the reason why we can trust His mercies are new, His compassions are new, they fail not. It's not just because, again, it's not like God is out there rewarding your good work. God is not out there rewarding your good work. I'm, I'm telling you, if, if, if God were to reward our good work, then you know what we would have gotten? A category five. That's the reward that we actually deserve. But aren't you glad, church, God doesn't treat you the way you deserve? Aren't you glad that God is not just in the way He could be just toward us? He has shown us mercy, kindness, and compassion. And He does it in the greatest sense in Jesus Christ. That in, in Him, in His death, in His resurrection, we can have forgiveness, we can be made right with God, we can have this absolute confidence that Jeremiah has. If we know Christ is our Savior, I hope and pray that everybody here does. I don't know that that could possibly be true, by the way, in a group this size, but that's, you, you'll have to trust, I'll have to trust how the Spirit would work in your heart. But I, I will tell you this, the, the, the most important thing you can do in light of all that's happened... To throw yourself at the mercy of God. And the good news that's it's available to you. God's mercy is available to you. Trust Christ and Christ alone. Christ crucified and resurrected. Ask God, based on His, nothing more than His own grace towards you, to save you. And He will. For others, I would just encourage you to be encouraged by the great mercies and compassions of God. Maybe that is something you are struggling with. Jeremiah understands that. The psalmists understand that. I, again, I think we've got Jeremiah as an old man at the end of his life forcing himself to think rightly. That doesn't necessarily come naturally. What will come naturally are the other thoughts, the grief and the burden. There may be times we've got to just sit down on what even may be the rubble of life. Say, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through your mercies, we are not consumed. Your compassions, they fail not. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Maybe that's what you submit to this morning. Maybe you'd like to come here and pray. Maybe it's your own situation. Maybe it's the situation of others. Maybe you'd like me to pray with you. However, God would have you respond to his word. I'd encourage you to do it today. Let's stand and I'll pray. And then we will sing together. Father God, we do thank you for gathering us. Thank you again for your goodness toward us. We thank you for your mercies and for your compassions. We thank you that they fail not. They are new every morning. We confess great is your faithfulness. We pray God that by your word, through your spirit, you would do this work in our hearts continuing to make us like Christ, convicting us and and strengthening us. May, May we continue to be moldable, usable in your hands, and all for your service and glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.